the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we cannot know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Hello, everyone. Hope you had a great weekend, not only with your family and friends and relaxing and enjoying a little time off of work, but also a time to be with your spiritual family. I hope you have a congregation of people you're able to meet with, friends and neighbors, fellow believers who come together with the idea of encouraging one another, helping one another as we all seek to walk with our Lord, glorify Him in our lives, and bear an effective witness in these difficult times that we are living. We are in the book of Acts, in the second mission journey of Paul, the missionary formerly known as Saul. Paul is in his second journey He has had a falling out with John Mark. Now a young fellow named Silas is traveling with Paul. This is about, if I remember correctly, a 2,000-mile journey, twice as long as the first missionary journey. They have gone deeply over into Greece to Philippi. Now Dr. Luke has joined them. You can tell by the use of the pronoun we. We'll pick up in chapter 17 of the book of Acts with Paul's visit to Athens. Right now, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment on the Bible Life. Proverbs 15, 1-17 A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The wise person makes learning a joy. Fools spout only foolishness. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping His eye on both the evil and the good. Gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. There is treasure in the house of the godly, but the earnings of the wicked bring trouble. Only the wise can give good advice. Fools cannot do so. The Lord hates the sacrifice of the wicked, but He delights in the prayers of the upright. 
The Lord despises the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue godliness. Whoever abandons the right path will be severely punished. Whoever hates correction will die. Even the depths of death and destruction are known by the Lord. How much more does he know the human heart? Mockers don't love those who rebuke them, so they stay away from the wise. A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. A wise person is hungry for truth, while the fool feeds on trash. For the poor, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. It is better to have little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure with turmoil. A bowl of soup with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. End of reading, Proverbs 15, 1 through 17. This is my desire to honor you. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Back. Ready to begin our reading tonight from the book of Acts. This is a remarkable passage, and I think it's a very important message for all of us today, particularly those of you who have a heart to minister to other people. As I mentioned before, there are some reasons that Jesus Christ came when he did. The Roman peace that was imposed on the world gave an opportunity for a message of the gospel to spread. Also a significant factor, the Roman roads and the sea lanes that Paul travels down as he takes the gospel across the Roman Empire. Of course, there is that common language of Greek because of the Greek Empire that preceded the Roman Empire. But one very, very important factor is the presence of Jewish synagogues in all of these different cities in these different foreign lands. This is one of the great blessings that came out of the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jewish people all over the known world at that time. When they were expelled from their own country, the Jewish people took the knowledge of the true and living God to other lands and other countries with the message of the Redeemer, the Messiah who was to come. These Jewish men and women have been living in these cultures, often hundreds of years, deeply ensconced into the culture. They speak the language. They know all of the cultural norms and tips on how to communicate and get along in those cultures. Now, as Paul goes, he usually goes, first and foremost, to the synagogue, because there was a natural place for him to plant the seed of the gospel and find men and women who can effectively share it all through their society. But we're going to read about a city tonight that there wasn't that situation. Paul goes to Athens where there isn't this natural place. See how he communicates the gospel message to those who don't have that biblical or that religious or that even that cultural background of the Jewish society. Let's go now. Acts 17 verse 1 through 20 verse 1. Acts 17. Now Paul and Silas traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row he interpreted the scriptures to the people. He was explaining and proving the prophecies about the sufferings of the Messiah and his rising from the dead. He said, This Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. 
Some who listened were persuaded and became converts, including a large number of godly Greek men and also many important women of the city. But the Jewish leaders were jealous, so they gathered some worthless fellows from the streets to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have turned the rest of the world upside down, and now they are here, disturbing our city, they shouted. And Jason has let them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king, Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city officials, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. But the officials released Jason and the other believers after they had posted bail. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to check up on Paul and Silas to see if they were really teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did some of the prominent Greek women and many men. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul on to the coast, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with a message for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to debate with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, This babbler has picked up some strange ideas. Others said, He's pushing some foreign religion. Then they took him to the Council of Philosophers. Come and tell us more about this new religion, they said. You are saying some rather startling things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious, for as I was walking along I saw your many altars, and one of them had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. You have been worshiping him without knowing who he is, and now I wish to tell you about him. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need there is. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, he decided beforehand which should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose in all of this was that the nations should seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As one of your own poets says, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol, designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's former ignorance about these things, but now he commands everyone everywhere to turn away from idols and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. 
When they heard Paul speak of the resurrection of a person who had been dead, some laughed, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Acts 18. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had been expelled from Italy as a result of Claudius Caesar's order to deport all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent his full time preaching and testifying to the Jews, telling them, The Messiah you are looking for is Jesus. But when the Jews opposed him and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his robe and said, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. After that, he stayed with Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and all his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also became believers and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will harm you, because many people here in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. But when Gallio became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose in concerted action against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would be obliged to listen to you. But since it is merely a question of words and names and your Jewish laws, you take care of it. I refuse to judge such matters. And he drove them out of the courtroom. The mob had grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and had beaten him right there in the courtroom. But Gallio paid no attention. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that and then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and sailed for the coast of Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. Earlier at Centria, Paul had shaved his head according to the Jewish custom, for he had taken a vow. When they arrived at the port of Ephesus, Paul left the others behind. But while he was there, he went to the synagogue to debate with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. So he left saying, I will come back later, God willing. Then he set sail from Ephesus. The next stop was at the port of Caesarea. From there he went up and visited the church at Jerusalem, and then went back to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul went back to Galatia and Phrygia, visiting all the believers, encouraging them, and helping them to grow in the Lord. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the Scriptures well, had just arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord and talked to others with great enthusiasm and accuracy about Jesus. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him in this. 
They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. He refuted all the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them, The Messiah you are looking for is Jesus. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Acts 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior provinces. Finally, he came to Ephesus, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them? No, they replied, we don't know what you mean. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism was to demonstrate a desire to turn from sin and turn to God. John himself told the people to believe in Jesus, the one John said would come later. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some rejected his message and publicly spoke against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he began preaching daily at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the Lord's message. God gave Paul the power to do unusual miracles so that even when handkerchiefs or cloths that had touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and any evil spirits within them came out. A team of Jews who were traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus. The incantation they used was this, I command you by Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Seva, a leading priest, were doing this. But when they tried it on a man possessed by an evil spirit, the spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And he leaped on them and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house, naked and badly injured. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing magic brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt impelled by the Holy Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before returning to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, on ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. But about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called the craftsmen together along with others employed in related trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. As you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't gods at all. And this is happening not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis 
this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world will be robbed of her prestige. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. At this, their anger boiled, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! A crowd began to gather, and soon the city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. Alexander was thrust forward by some of the Jews who encouraged him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak in defense. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an indisputable fact, you shouldn't be disturbed, no matter what is said. Don't do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the judges can take the case at once. Let them go through legal channels. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I am afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. Acts 20. When it was all over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. End of reading, Acts 17, 1 through 21. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know how intense they are. You still have to take care of the basics, sleep somewhere, you have to have meals, legal things when you go through one border into the next, finding the right the person you were supposed to meet in the city and so on. On top of that, there are people who need to hear this message. And the wonderful thing when you're on a mission trip, you live more intensely the reality that God is there, that God is at work. God is in you. He is working in your life. He is using you. God has worked and is present there working in the society, the culture that you might be in, whether it's Mongolia or Japan or anywhere else, somewhere where you're not used to being and you realize that God is there. God has preceded you. God has been speaking to the hearts of these men and women. He has prepared them and he has brought you into their path. A reality that we should be walking in every day of our lives. Well, Paul goes to Thessalonica and to Berea. He's up into Greece now. Then he comes to Athens and we see this wonderful example of him preaching to people who do not have that common historical or cultural or religious background for him to build upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old Testament times and so on, even the predictions of the Messiah. So he finds common ground 
in their idolatry. <laughs> Paul says, you know, I was just coming down here to speak with you. I noticed that you're very religious people. You've got all of these idols and all of these monuments that you've built to honor different gods. And I noticed that you have one to the unknown God. Well, I'm here to tell you about that God that you don't know. I think that is so witty, so creative, and I suspect there were some chuckles. But then Paul begins to talk to them, parting only from their writers and their authors. He mentions Epicurean, Stoic philosophers. He mentions one of their poets that talks about that in God we live and breathe and move and have our being. So Paul begins where they are, but he comes back to the true and living God, the God who created the world and everything in it. This is very much the opposite of the Greek gods and the Roman gods of mythology. They were gods of our making. Their gods have all the problems and needs and frustrations that human beings have. They're just supermen. They're like Spider-Man or Superman or Batman or somebody. Paul says, now I'm not talking to you about God we made up. I'm talking about the God who made us, who made everything around us, who has revealed himself undeniably to us by raising a man from the dead. And at that point, of course, it broke loose. But you got three reactions out of that group. Reactions you'll always get. Let me quickly tell you the three responses that you will get when you share the gospel, whether it's on a mission trip or at your school or at your workplace with a neighbor. There are three assured responses. Some rejected and mocked. Some laughed and mocked at him and rejected the gospel message. You might as well get used to it, folks. It's going to happen. Don't be shocked when it happens. It's just part of the mix. It's a matter of numbers. Some rejected but wanted to hear more. They weren't ready to make a commitment at that time, but they were willing and wanting to know more. And some believed and joined him in faith. That's always an encouraging thing. The power of the Christian home and marriage and family is seen through Aquila and Priscilla. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 